Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and Tell. A delight, as always, to be with you uh, this morning. Um, just have a few things I want to draw your attention to uh, in our church family. Um, the first is um, Christmas at First, if you have yet to come. Christmas at First is at 6 p.m. tonight. Uh, Christmas at First is a tradition, a rich tradition in our church family, uh, where our worship uh, choir and along with um, the symphony, get together to declare um, the goodness of God in Jesus Christ, the Son, um, through music. And so you don't want to miss that. So if you've yet to come, come back tonight for six o'clock. Lessons and carols is next Sunday evening at uh, 6 p.m. Lessons and carols is an opportunity, once again, to worship and to immerse yourself in this Advent season through really a powerful and reflective way through music and readings. And uh, it, is, it is a delight every year to be a part of Lessons and Carols. So be sure to put that on your calendar as well. Uh, Christmas Eve, if you don't know, Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year. And we will not be worshiping in 4th Street Crossing. We will be in our main sanctuary. That's uh, Christmas Eve morning. Uh, That afternoon, we have our traditional memorial service at 4.45 p.m. Uh, That memorial service, if you have lost a loved one um, in uh, this year or the past years and you want an opportunity to remember them in a meaningful way, you can do that at our memorial service on Christmas Eve. And then that is followed by our Christmas Eve service at 5.30 p.m. where we have our candle lighting um, and worship gathering. Uh, It is a delightful time. Uh, Christmas, Christmas is so so good for us to worship, celebrate the arrival of the sun together. Would you stand with me? And we're going to read our scripture for today. Matthew chapter five, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, 
let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Father, we ask that you bless this word to us. Lord, help us not only to hear it and see it, but to put it into action in our life where it bears fruit. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Well, once again, thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us today. My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, have the privilege of preaching in this place with you and leading here in Lagos. Um, we do something that we call reverse. And if you're new to us today or you have just begun to worship with us, a reverse is a fun word that describes our rhythm of being in the scriptures together. And so ideally, um, uh, like we just started a 13-week series in the Sermon on the Mount. We invite you to read that passage of scripture uh, in advance at home, and it could be a part of your time in the word of God at home. Then we invite you to come in small groups, Sunday morning, uh, Bible study, Sunday school. We invite you to join in community to talk about that same passage of scripture and then join us in worship. Join us in worship where you receive uh, preaching from that same text. So we're very literally on the same page together throughout the week. It's a delightful and wonderful rhythm for us to be a part of. If you're new with us today, Thank you so much for being here. We would love to have a record of your time with us, and you can do that by filling out the little card right in front of you, and you can put that in one of these little bins around the room later in our worship gathering, but also you can do it right on your device. You can go to fbcsa.org slash connect. It's just an easy way to say, hey, I was here with you, and creates an opportunity for us to connect with you at a later time. Our mission as a church family is to faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with him. We wanna get better at that as a church family and we wanna work together in all the ways that God has gifted us and connected us to join him in what he's doing in all the world. And this text that we're in today uh, couldn't say it more clearly. Continue to give to be a part of our church family and you can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash give. So, before um, I continue, I have a little disclaimer for you this morning. So I have a little cough, and my wife's already warned me more than once, you cannot cough on stage. So I'm really glad that, you know, some of you may want to move a little further back, uh, you know, whatever you're comfortable with, but I'm going to do my best not to cough this morning. But if I do, will you extend me a little grace today? Um, I appreciate that. Anna, where are you? Do I get some grace from you? You'll think about it? Thank, thank, <laughs> thank you so. Now, now that I talk to her, I'm going to start coughing. It's, no. Well, it, it is good uh, to be in the Sermon on Mount. Uh, these words straight from Jesus, the greatest sermon ever preached. And last week, he began this incredible sermon with the Beatitudes, um, and the Beatitudes introduce us to the culture of the people that make up his kingdom. Uh, these Beatitudes 
uh, declare to us, what kind of values and attitudes do the people of God's kingdom have as they live in this world, as they live for him in this world? So he says things like, you know, they're poor in spirit. They're, they're, they're not full of pride. They have a keen self-awareness of their need for God. He talks about them mourning. They're, they grieve. They look out on the world and they recognize all is not well in the world. Sin and brokenness and death is, is all around us. And we grieve that as the children of God, part of his kingdom. He says, the children of God, they're, they're meek and they're gentle. They hunger for the things of God. They hunger for righteousness and justice. They're merciful. They're pure in heart. And they're at odds with the world. He ends that whole series of values and attitudes that, you know, if you live in a kingdom kind of way, you're gonna be at odds with the world around you. They're gonna persecute you just like they persecuted me. But every beatitude comes with either a present blessing or forward looking blessing that God says you are blessed when you live out these kingdom values because it means that we are in fellowship with one another and that you have a promise to hold on to. The kingdom, kingdom of God, kingdom people have that kind of perspective that we are still waiting for the fulfillment of what God is doing in all the earth. And yet we faithfully and obediently live out these kingdom values regardless of the opposition that we may face. And really, even beginning with the Beatitudes, it's as if, as if Jesus is beckoning us to join something really significant. It's as if he's saying, man, the kingdom of God is completely different than the ways of the world. Will you join in that kind of revolution? to upend things, to do things radically different than the world does things, to have totally different values and attitudes about life and living and what's most important. Jesus says, you know, following me is, is not more of the same. It's upending everything. It's an invasion to reclaim what sin and corruption and darkness has taken uh, we're, we're pockets of resistance that combine to form a tidal wave of change. And Jesus is like, do you want to get in on that? Uh, do you want to be a part of that kind of revolution? Not one with, with guns and spears and uh, vengeful words and taking back what's your own, but one paid with humility and love and mercy different way than our world would ever conceive a revolution happening. So, but would you, would you join in that revolution? Well, that kind of revolutionary call is not just seen here in the Beatitudes, but it's in other places throughout scripture. I just want to list a few. If you remember in John chapter three, this, uh, this uh, religious leader named Nicodemus, who was incredibly intrigued by Jesus, because as Nicodemus said in John three, there's no way that you're not from God because of the things that you say and the things that you're doing. You, you couldn't be working this, these kind of miracles without you being from the Lord. And so Jesus, Nicodemus meets with him in the cover of the night because everyone else is suspicious about Jesus and what his agenda was. But Nicodemus is like, I wanna figure this guy out. And before Nicodemus even had a chance to ask a question, listen to what Jesus said to him. I tell you the truth, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
I mean, that was like a call to Nicodemus. You want to be a part of the kingdom? You want to join the revolution? You want to upend the ways of the world and bring new life and restoration? Be born again. Be born again. Y'all know that conversation. Or the rich young ruler. You remember, you remember the rich young ruler? Here's this guy who's grown up all of his life observing the law as best he could. And in his own mind, he felt like he had adhered to the Ten Commandments. And he goes to Jesus, good teacher, how can I have eternal life, Jesus says, well, have you, have you obeyed the law? And he says, yes, yeah, since I've been a little kid. He says, well, you've forgotten one thing. Forgotten one thing. I want you to sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. There was that revolutionary call. Will you change your normal rhythms of life to take on kingdom values? Will you follow me? Will you join in this revolution? We see it when he talks to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. When he says these striking words, he says, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. You join the revolution? Will you give up your life? Follow me and be a part of something the world does not even begin to understand, but the world will taste and see and experience Will you, will you do that? The revolutionary call, it's given to us. It's given to you. Will you embody the kingdom of God? Will you take on those values of poor in spirit? When the, Lord, when the world says, uh, be your own, God says, be poor in spirit. When, when the world says, take what is yours, you give. We do it differently. The call is to join the revolution and take on values and attitudes that is so foreign to the world. In fact, I would say, Jesus in this revolutionary call is saying to us, if you really want to know what it means to be human, to live life to the fullest, then believe me and follow me. Join the revolution. Well, in these verses, in verses 13 through 16, which is a part of this call, in fact, I, I would say verses 1 through 16 kind of provides the foundation for the rest of the sermon. Um, it is Jesus' teaching or reminding what they were made for. They're image bearers, after all. They're, they're, they're are to, they are to be light in the world. He's reminding them what they're made for, why they, in particular, the, the, the Jewish people, why they were chosen as God's people. That they were to be salt and light in the world, to upend the ways of the world by embodying the values and kingdom of the kingdom of God. And a reality only through which Jesus would fulfill. I mean, he's now on the scene. He's shedding light on himself. And so verses 1 through 16, with the Beatitudes and this call to be salt, be light in a world of death, bring life in a landscape of darkness, be light, it helps us understand the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But what about this revolution of life? Really simple, simple, beautiful metaphors that Jesus, is, Jesus uses. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. 
But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Will it be, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You're the salt of the earth, Jesus says. You guys know this, but in the ancient world, salt was a very valuable commodity. Uh, not necessarily in cost, um, but it was a preservative. It, it allowed food to last a little longer. You could travel a little further. This was, they didn't have refrigerators, and so the salt was a preservative. It, it preserved um, the food that they would eat. It was healing. Um, you know, bacteria and viruses really struggle to thrive in a saline environment. And so salt was very medicinal. It seasoned food. It brought out the flavor. But the bottom line is salt was a normal part of the human existence and experience. It was waking up, it was going to bed, it was making food. Salt was a part of their life. And it did the things that it did because by nature, it was supposed to make things salty, right? Salt can't help but to be salt. I mean, that's what it does. And salt that isn't salty isn't useful. It has no purpose. And maybe you can fill a pothole with, I don't know, you probably could come up with something else, but it's very nature, salty, salt is salty, it's, it, it just happens. Um, it's by nature salty. We're only ever surprised by salt when it's not salty, right? If you put salt on your food and it's not seasoning in the way that it, you're expected, you're like, something's wrong with the salt. But salt can't help but be salty, this is Jesus' way of saying, this kind of revolution that I'm calling you to be a part of, this kind of revolution by its very nature is to bring life and uh, restoration. By its very nature, when you take on these attitudes of humility and mercy and self-awareness and giving of yourself and seeking God's righteousness by its very nature in the same way that Saul permeates and seasons and restores and preserves by the very nature God's people and his kingdom also bring life and restoration they they're preservative it reclaims what sin and death has taken now what does that really mean for us Uh, what does it look like to be salt in real life in the world that we're in. Well, I think Jesus has already modeled this for us. Let me just read the verses leading up to the sermon. This is in Matthew chapter four, verses 23 through 25. It says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease or if they were a demon possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the 10 towns, Jerusalem from all over Judea and from east of the Jordan River. Jesus really modeled for us what it means to be salty in a world that's messy and broken and dying. Everywhere that Jesus went, 
he brought new life. Everywhere that Jesus went, when they brought the, the, the sick and the demon possessed, he healed them. He restored life. He healed people. And in that work of Jesus from town to town and speaking the good news of the kingdom and really bringing restoration and new life and healing to people all around him, um, he's providing really a foretaste for us of the kingdom of God that will come in all of its fullness when he returns. But the remarkable thing in, in verse 13 is Jesus saying, you'll do that too. Everywhere you go, when you embody the values and attitudes of the kingdom, you'll bring life too. You'll be a blessing too. You'll heal too. You'll restore too. Uh, Jesus says, listen, I'm not an anomaly in the sense that you can't do the things that I'm doing. No, in fact, as I'm the light of the world, you will be the light of the world. As I heal, you will heal. Jesus says, listen, by your very nature, being God's people, believing in him and following him, you'll bring blessing and life to others. Is it really any wonder that historically, the church, with a capital C, the church, was the first group of people to really start hospitals and education and orphanages. Why? Because everywhere they go, they bring life. They restore. They heal. Jesus says, that's the kind of people, that's the kind of people you were made to be, especially in a world where we're, it's messy and broken and dying. We're salt. We're salt. He says, be salt. You'll do what I do. He also says, you're the light of the world, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus says, you're the salts of the earth and you're the light of the world. That's what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. That's the result of taking on those beatitudes, the values and attitudes of the kingdom of God. You are light. Have you ever noticed that light can't help but be light? Light can't help but shine. In the darkness, people notice light. They can't help it. People's eyes need light to be able to see, to make sense of the world around them. And so when there's a light that is lit, our eyes are drawn to it. It's, it's the nature of light. It's what happens. So have you ever flown at night? <clears throat> have you ever been on a plane at night and you're, I don't, I'm, it can happen in a lot of different ways. You could be descending into a city or you could be high enough and there's not that many clouds, but you can, you can see the landscape dotted by towns and cities. Do you know how you know there are towns and cities? Any idea? Light. Light. Doesn't know, it doesn't matter 
how far out you are over what countryside or what terrain, if you're flying at night and there's no cloud cover, you can look down 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet, and you can know where a town or city is because you see that's light. That's what Jesus is saying. Man, a city on a hill, you can see that thing from far away because by its very nature, light draws our attention. It, it lights things up for us to see. Have you ever noticed that when it's really, really dark, you really don't need a lot of light? Have you ever noticed that? Now, some of you are probably like me, um, that uh, when you have to get up in the, the middle of the night, you don't want to turn on the, the larger lights because your loved ones are asleep. In this case, Anna is asleep. So um, all I need is just the little bit of light. So if my phone's beside me, I'll just, in fact, I don't even turn my, I don't even have to turn on my um, uh, flashlight on my phone. I just turn the screen on my phone. And that provides me enough light to get where I'm going. We don't need a lot of light. Even the smallest amount of light is able to light up a space for us to be able to navigate the world around us because light does its thing. It lights things up for us. It lets us know the path that we need to take and how to navigate the world around us. Isaiah 9.2, which is also quoted in Matthew 4.16, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Of course, in Matthew 4.16, it's talking about John the Baptist. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, the light has shone on them. We need light in the darkness that we live in. In the same way, that Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, just like I brought life to people around me and I'm a healer and I restore, that's you too. It's also true here. Jesus says to us, he says, as I brought light, as I'm the light of the world, I will fuel your light. You too will be the light of the world. You will help people see the world in a brand new way. In fact, you will draw people's attention to me, how does he end this section of scripture? He says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine like light for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. He says, that's you too. It's not just me, but it's you and you take on this revolutionary call to believe and follow me when your life begins to embody the values of the kingdom of God. It can't help but shed light to the world around you. It can't help but point people to God. By its very nature, that's what it'll do. We're image bearers after all, right? Made in God's image. This is Jesus saying, listen, when you embody the kingdom of God, when you follow me, I'm gonna be restoring you to your original design. And your original design is to shed light, to point people to your creator. You'll do that too. When people, when kingdom people live in the mix of a broken, messy, hostile world, they can't help but point people to God. And that's why Jesus says, let your light shine. 
Jesus says something really startling in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. We'll just read one of those verses. He says this. I want to tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Jesus is preparing them for his departure. I'm not going to be with you in the flesh anymore. I'm going to send you my spirit. But you're going to do greater things than me. Greater things than me. Church family, do we believe that? Do we believe that we can provide the kind of healing and restoration that Jesus did to the people around us? Do we believe that God has put this church family together to be light in the messy, broken places of our world? Do we really believe that we can do greater things in Jesus? He said it. In fact, he says, you can ask anything in my name, I'm gonna do it. Do we believe that? Listen, the greatest tragedy, perhaps, in the Western evangelical church, or maybe just church in general, is that if we are not aware, we can just hum along like the rest of the world. Just go along with the rest of the world. And sometimes, we can posture ourselves to point fingers at the world, cast stones at the world rather than actually being salt and light in the world. This is a, a quotation. I don't, I don't know who said it, but it said this. It's better to light a candle than curse the dark. The temptation for us and our tendency in the Western church is, is to curse the dark rather than lighting a candle. Do we believe that we can do greater things than Jesus? I want you to consider something in our closing, and that is, where are the places that you go? Here's the truth. You can only light up the places you are going. You can only bring preservation, restoration to the places that you're going. If, the, if you know the places that you go, then you know where you are called to shine. If you know the places that you go, where are you going? Some of you go to school every day. Many of you go to work every day, gym every day, soccer every other day. They have this host of places that we're going all the time. And Jesus says very simply, be salt and light there. Do great things there. Embody the values of the kingdom of God there. Do you believe it? My hope is, is that as we continue through this series on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus unveils for us what it means to be salt and light, that we will say yes. Lord, I want to embody those values and attitudes of your kingdom. So in all the places that I go, at home, in the workplace, at school, I want to be salt and light there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the encouragement to be your people in a world that is desperate for saltiness and light. 
as your people, may we live out those truths. May we not be able to help it. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.